Hey guys, what is up? Israel here today, and today I'm joined with my friend Sam. How are you going today, Sam? I'm good, mate. How are you? Yeah, very good. Uh, it's been a while. It's good to catch up, man. It's been too long. It's been too long indeed. Uh, so, uh, Sam is a good friend, and he is somebody that I have known in my life maybe the last... Uh, probably it's been a while now, man. It's been like six, seven, maybe eight years. Yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Sam was one of the first people who came into my little hole-in-the-wall gym a few years ago. It was a great space. Uh, it was very unique, man. Like, uh, very, very grungy. You People would only go there if they were very serious about training, um, which is really cool because um, I appreciate every sort of, like, interaction of personality that I met that came through there has been... Because uh, there was nothing else to that space, like... It was just about the training or like the atmosphere that it created. And yeah. every person that I've met through that era, uh, you know, has remained as part of my life in some way or another. So, yeah, I really appreciate that about you, man. No worries, mate. Likewise. It was uh, a pretty important space to, for a lot of rebuilding and a lot of growing and yeah. 100%. Um, so, look, we'll start with um, your profession and like um, I'm really interested in like digging into your like entrepreneurial journey. Yep. Um, so, Sam is a chiropractor. So first, let's start with that. So one of the first things that I know maybe a lot of the listeners will have questions in regards is a lot of the times when people seek an allied health professional or a health professional of some sort, there's, especially with anything related to the body, there's lots of confusion about which person should I see, what are the differences. So I guess what would be like a really basic explanation for like what is a chiropractor and why should one see one? <coughs> Sorry, mate. Um, so essentially... Um, Look, there's a number of different ways in which you can answer that, that those sorts of questions. But essentially, chiropractic itself is a profession that's been around since uh, late 19th century. Um, sort of around the same sort of time as modern medicine was sort of evolving to become a profession. Um, it's a drug-free profession um, aimed at trying to get the body to heal itself. Um, within its own history, there's been different groups within chiropractic will describe chiropractic in different ways. So um, I won't go down that sort of avenue in regards to just describing that. But essentially, they're, they're spine professionals. You know, they're, they're, they're university trained. They're, you know, there's no, um, there's no uh, wheat beaks box chiropractic certificates based on what you, uh, depending on what you hear. But um, essentially, it's been around for, you know, for well over 100 years and it's evolved and changed like medicine has changed over that period of time, um, mainly focused on the spine, but also other areas of the body, and trying to apply their or go through sort of a series of different things: a a diagnosis, and then b a, a, a therapy based on that diagnosis. So, history, examination, diagnosis, treatment, or triage. Yeah. Essentially, it's the way that we we look at patients, which isn't, which doesn't sound, which is essentially should be the same whether you see a physiotherapist an osteopath, uh, a podiatrist, a doctor. The, the, the constructs of a consult or the constructs of a treatment should essentially be the same. You know, they should have those same, those, those same features. So then what makes chiropractors different is, is generally the treatment area because the, the diagnosis shouldn't change between a person, person to person. And chiropractors in their training do a little bit more work on spinal manipulation, whereas other professions don't spend as much time on that. So... That's kind of the key difference. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's not as sexy as, um, you know, some people make it sound to be, you know, make it out to be because 
what each profession tries to do is try to sell themselves to be the better profession, you know. Yeah. So, but um, essentially, I've seen hundreds of great physiotherapists out there that do amazing work that's very similar to chiropractic, and I've seen amazing osteopaths and massage therapists and you know, um, you know, PTs and all doing amazing work. So um, yeah, I'm not too I'm not too worried about being too super protective about. Yeah, the, yeah, the no, I mean, I think. Yeah. I think one of the maybe good ways that I had it explained a long time ago by a friend was like, you know, it's just, there's lots of different health professionals and, you know, even those within the chiropractor, like some chiropractors might choose more one style of treatment than like another one. Yeah. Am I correct in assuming that? Yeah, yeah. So there's yeah. different styles and different models between different chiropractors. So some will just do straight manipulation. Some will do a mixture of hands-on therapies with dry needling or massage or things like that. So it's, it's really hard to... Um, describe a particular profession based on um you know some of the constructs in which we'd like to sometimes it'd be so easy if you go oh it's just spinal so um you know go see a chiropractor or it's just muscular just go see a physio it'd be great if it worked like that but if you've got a lumbar disc protrusion that's you know hitting a nerve root there's no way that you're going to not have muscular stuff involved in all that kind of thing yeah because and i think that's one of the big struggles that i think the general public uh, has where it's complicated. Like it's not like it's this or it's that. Like it's yeah. it's a it's a whole construct of different things that have led you to a position where you're yeah. feeling like you are in pain. You're feeling pain. Yeah. Um, and I think yeah, people really struggle to understand that. Yeah. So the most important thing is that you see somebody that you can trust, someone that's that's taking the time to take a proper history, someone that's taking the time to make a proper diagnosis, someone that's taking the time to um, care for you, and then you're assessing whether that therapy has a benefit for your the way that your body feels and the way that the, your body moves if that's the case then then you're on the right track and if that's not working for you or you feel like there's something missed in the diagnosis then you can go down a number of different paths that might be getting imaging done or that might be trying a different therapy but yeah yeah i mean yeah it's um yeah it's a it's an interesting blend of different things and you hear quite aggressive um people say you know you know don't see, you know, chiropractors and physios hate themselves, for example, hate, hate each other or something like that. And it's so weird because if you look back into history, they're actually very closely um, uh, related. Um, so Physiotherapy Association sort of started, well, sort of started pre-World War One with the Massage Therapy Association. So it sort of started as a Massage Therapy Association and then in around 1930, in Australia, this is not in America, they um, they sort of developed into sort of the physiotherapy association, and then they weren't really an association until sort of after World War Two. And if you look at the meeting minutes on that world on that on the um, on the on the association minutes, there was like a whole bunch of chiropractors setting starting the physiotherapy association. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so, like these, you know, these worlds are, are a lot grayer than 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 black and white. Unfortunately, it'd be great to. Um, to say that it was um, just one way or another. No, no, and yeah, no, 100%. And I think, you know, I think I've kind of felt the same energy from anyone who I've spoken to that's a physio or a chiro or an osteopath or like an allied health professional who's, um, I think, pretty uh, knowledgeable and comfortable in what they know. Like, I think all of you guys have all kind of given me the same sort of response where, um, as opposed to maybe sometimes where I've spoken to people where, sometimes they get that sort of vibe where maybe they aren't so sure of themselves. So they do try and create that big polarization of yeah. it's this or it's that. 
Yeah, historically as well, there's been like lots of fighting between the different professions over time. So physiothera- if we say physiotherapy started post-World War II like, and take them out of it, World War, uh, sorry, you know, chiropractic say starting in you know, late, you know, late 19th century, that's sort of around the same time as medicine was starting. And they fought a lot. In America, chiropractors were put in jail for practicing medicine without a license. And um, chiropractors really fought to be able to practice um, over there. Now, this is back in the time where chiropractors would say that every single, every single ailment, didn't matter what you had, cold, flu, you know, cancer, it could be cured by getting adjusted. Because they believed that everything that originated dis- disease in the body came from the spine. It, um, it's obviously far, disease is far more complicated than that. I'm not saying that the spine doesn't have a role to play in that, but it's obviously far, far more complicated than that. But you know, at the same time, medicine were, you know, prescribing morphine, cocaine, these sorts of things for every ailment, you know, yeah. coming, coming in. So yeah, just so yeah, they've evolved, ma- masking. They've, yeah, yeah, they've evolved and they've changed, and they you know, essentially they were just fighting after market share. So yeah. You know, that's where a lot of the a and lot of the arguments between the professions come from. And I don't think people. I think the general public struggle to understand sometimes. Like, you're the health industry is still a business. Yeah. Probably one of it's probably argumentatively maybe one of the bigger businesses oh, in the world. It's huge. And it's like and not everything is done like in your favor for what's best always for the person. Like a lot of the times, it's just like this ended up being a better business practice so that came to be or yeah. you know and i think i think i knew the, the younger generations or even like people like our age like i think a lot of us try and take a more holistic approach to um to to our lifestyles probably in general like um you know from what i've seen uh you know i think my parents uh for example and their age group i can see that they're a lot more about you go to the doctor and you take whatever medicines the doctor gave you and a lot of the times it can be really hard to break through that generation and explain like, you know, a lot of these things are happening because of your diet. Whereas, you know, I think our generation, like, you know, probably is a lot more conscious about, you know, how much of a role diet plays into things, the importance of exercise and things of that nature. Would you agree? Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, like I think we're, the good thing, we're questioning things a lot more. There's a lot more information that we can eat, have, have, our, have our fingertips. I think that that generally creates a better and healthier population but yeah and I, I I like it as a practitioner even over like the 12 years that I've been practicing I think the questions I get asked now about certain things are far more it, like they're, they're greater questions they're really interesting questions I get asked now whereas I think you know 12 years ago some of the questions were were pretty basic and and not trying to really you know, like empower people to really understand their condition and take take hold of what's going on with them yeah I think the questions I get now are a, a lot better and allows um, patients to take control of their health. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, that's, yeah. There's, there's obviously downsides to that. Um, what are some of well. the What are some of the downsides <laughs> that you see? Oh, there's a lot of people that come in. They've they've googled their their symptoms and they think they've got you know some sort of you know ridiculously rare or you know, you know quite you know nasty disease. You know, cancer is probably the obvious thing. They've got hip pain. You know, they think that they're Hip pain must be cancer. It's the only thing that could possibly yeah, be. You know, I find this so interesting, in, especially in the health space where, you know, this, everything I'm going to say is just my opinion and my observation, but I've seen this so much happen with, um, you know, injuries, for example, right? Like I've seen two people can have the same injury and to one person that injury is debilitating, 
life-changing, uh, not a bump in the road, like that's the end of the road. Yeah. And to someone else, that's like a bump in the road. You do what you do, you get around, you work around it. And it's funny because a lot of the times, you know, it, it starts with the mindset, like one person has a very um, constructive mindset about what just happened to them, whereas another person has a very fixed mindset about what happened to them. And then yeah. the person who's got more of a constructive mindset, you know, obviously then that leads them to doing things about it more likely or wanting to work around it or, you know, yeah. like even just like um, just their attitude, like if they have more of a positive attitude about I'm not going to let this thing be the end of the road for me, then, you know, it doesn't. And it's just like, it's becomes nothing in the grand scheme of it. Right. Whereas I've seen it for other people. It's that's it. Like, and then that becomes the story that they tell themselves. Mm, absolutely. I think that there's, there's a number of sort of scientific articles and things like that in various different fields that back that up. You know, there's, there's papers that look at, you know, even, uh, one of the major outcomes of whether you're going to have a good replacement surgery is whether you like your surgeon. So um, those those little things like the power of like liking your surgeon has enough to have an outcome whether they do a good job or not. Like you know, those those sorts of things. So that mindset based around the bedside manner of the of the doctor. There's also things like they've done MRIs on um, say low back pain. And they take hundreds and hundreds of people that have never had low back pain in their life and they scan them and they find that over 50% of them have disc bulges and things like that on their scans. And you go, well, how come that person doesn't have any pain? You know, whereas... Yeah, I've, I've heard about this study some, and then... Someone comes in, you know, and they're saying their pain is debilitating and, you know... And, and they do just, a scan and there's nothing wrong with them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or, or there's the exact same problem that was in someone next to them that has no pain. Where, where you can put a, you know, 100 MRIs on a wall and no doctor or radiologist could point out which people are in pain and which ones are not in pain, which has to feed into, you know, that person's chemical state in regards to what's going on in their body from an infl infl inflammatory point of view, their mindset to their injury, what's going on in their brain, what's going on from, you know, you know all of that brain chemistry in regards to um, previous pain, um, previous thoughts, relationship with pain all those things play a huge role. Yeah, yeah, of course. What have been some, like, I'm always interested in knowing, especially, you know, having been in a profession where I've dealt with and I've had so many, like, you know, close, intimate interactions with people for, like, a very long period of time. There's, like, these little, there's these little nuggets of, like, psychology that I've learned along the way. Mm. And, you know, I've, on, I've, I've only spent 10 years doing this so far, so I can't imagine what more I'm going to uncover. But, there's these things that become really glaringly obvious to me about people as I go along this. And I'm always interested in knowing what other people in other professions might find about the human psyche. So what are, what are some things that you've really noticed about people that um, is maybe glaring to you that maybe you've never expressed out loud, uh, maybe like about, you know, people's ability to recover or come back from, from something or anything of that nature? Um, do you know what so, I'm trying to ask? Yeah, yeah, I, I think I do. Um, look, I certainly don't pretend to be, uh, you know, a psychologist or anything like that either. You know, I try to see to when people come in and they uh, they ask for ask for care, we certainly always have a, a you know a spinal or a, or a diagnosis from a musculoskeletal perspective. But we always take into account that person's you know mental state and these sorts of things. There's probably there's probably a couple of things that I've noticed. There's one one would be the um, that person's outlook as soon as they've come in is is kind of an indicator for oh, this, but is this person going to get better so if they've got a fairly positive outlook it's, you start with 
you have a chat to them, they want to get better, they're generally already tuned to exercise or, or a movement therapy of some description. It doesn't even, doesn't matter what it is, whether it's yoga or CrossFit or, you know, dancing or walking regularly, you know, usually the more combination walking generally by itself is great, but usually it needs to be do a bit of something else. But if they're doing something generally that helps them get better. And usually the people that have already got an exercise habit will have a generally better outlook on life. And generally those people are generally people get better. So when those people don't get better, that makes me start to worry. You know, yeah. um, when the people that I don't expect to get better, usually they're those that will want to focus on, you know, all the stuff going wrong in their life, regardless of, you know, you know, you know just will constantly focus on the, on what's what's wrong. Generally, they're the people that don't get better, and yeah, they're the hard, they're the harder ones to try to make, um, harder ones to keep their energy up and them to get right. You know, some of them, some of them will get better. You'll be able to help them over time, and some of them potentially want to hold on to that, uh, you know, their injury as another reason why um, they're not going to succeed or something like that. So they'll be very almost not wanting to get better because they, they don't want to lose that injury as part of their identity because they're the, that's the thing that they can talk about with people or whatever. Yeah, and so. I think that's that's so interesting that people, people hang on to these sort of things, like that becomes who you are. And I know exactly what you're referring to, like um, over the past few years, like, you know, I've dealt, and I'm going to do it right now. Like it's going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. I've dealt with a, not the greatest back in the world. And a lot of me getting better with that, like over time, like it has, even as my back got better, I would tell this story that almost like reaffirms it. And I I need to, I have to, I often, like I just did catch myself and realizing, stop talking about it. Like don't make it more of a thing again. Like it's, Mm. it's good. Like it's, you're past that point, but I can 100% see that if I, uh, you know, was maybe more active, like uh, competitively, like still in in the sports that I chose to be in, I would 100% hang on to that because then that's like, it's like a good excuse or it's like, this is why I can't do this or et cetera. Yeah, yeah. There's um, there's certainly those sorts of things. And, and sometimes, depending on the motivation of the patient, you've really got to try and try to target them almost eventually. You know, say someone who said, you know, you know hurts a lumbar disc, bulge, you know, has a lumbar disc injury, you know, annular fissure or big bulge or something like that, deadlifting. You, you know, I almost kind of put on the on the on piece of paper going like at some stage we're gonna to have to get you back deadlifting. It doesn't have to be heavy, it doesn't have to be what you're doing beforehand, but we need to get you to attack all the thing. You know, have to get you back on the bicycle essentially. Have to yeah. get you targeting that thing. Otherwise you're always gonna have that fear around that particular movement and you know, we'll do the rehab and we'll, we'll build up you know what we need to we'll fix what's wrong first and we'll fix up whatever movement pattern we need to work on maybe we'll adjust the way that you deadlift so say if someone's got a uh, femoral stable impingement or a hip condition we might get them out if they've and they hurt their back doing a, a normal deadlift we might get them doing sumo or something like that to try to adapt a little bit so they can so at least they're not using their, their lumbar spine too much but um we still need to try and get them back doing what they fear otherwise that'll, that'll be something that they keep with them forever yeah that's quite easy in those cases where um we know what the mechanism of injury was or an event that had occurred. Not everybody has those either, which, which makes the job a little bit more tricky as well as time goes on. There's, you know, as, as, as they get more and more experience, there's um, you know, previous you know, stressful events in people's lives, um, you know, anything from child abuse all the way through that changes the way that the body moves. And, um, and so those things can be more and more tricky to, to try and get people to engage and reconnect with their body to try and use it, use it properly and to to have a better relationship with their body. 
Yeah, of course. And this is kind of like one of those things that over the last few years became like obviously apparent to me was realizing that people's relationships with themselves and the relationships that they've built up around the world, around things, not just people, makes like the ability to change their behaviors like really challenging. Like, you know, one of the things that I noticed uh, years ago was uh, for a lot of people that struggle with weight loss, like, you know, we're trying to change habits and behaviors that have been ingrained that led to this point where this person wants to change it. But then you realize that, you know, for example, one of the things that uh, I started seeing was people that maybe came from uh, bad socioeconomic uh, uh, positions in life and then become, get themselves into a good position. There's this huge association with like, you know, uh, not wanting to feel poor again or feel like, you know, they're in a position where there wasn't enough to eat and now they're in a position where they can eat a lot and changing that eating habit now becomes a completely different scenario. And it isn't like just about, you know, you need to be eating less, you know, chocolates at night. Like it's, yeah, no, no one like any smoker knows that smoking is bad for them. Like telling them that smoking is bad for them is not going to be a light bulb moment for them to change, is it? You know, think yeah, of course. Go, why is that? Why does that behavior exist? You know, yeah, that person's life. Yeah, yeah, hundred yeah, um, percent. So now moving the topic uh, over to business. So how long have you had your um, chiropractic uh, clinic for? Yeah, clinic? so we had. I took over. I, I subcon. Well, business life started. I, I had a small practice in Darlinghurst in, in Sydney for a, a period of time. Then I moved to Adelaide and worked for um, an amazing chiropractor called Russell Hanna. Okay, let's stop the story there. I didn't realize that you lived in Sydney. Yeah, yeah. How long ago did you live in Sydney? 2000 and... Well, I lived there from 2005 or six to 2010. That's cool. I just came back from Sydney. Yeah, yeah. I think I fell in love with it. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's... um. Is this why you always go to Sydney as well? Yeah, I got two closest mates over there. Yeah. So, um, or three, oh yeah, like a lot of close mates over there. Yeah. Yeah. Shouldn't say, shouldn't put a number on it, but a lot of close mates. Yeah. So, um, yeah, love it. Yeah. It's, um, I tell you what though, living in Adelaide and being able to afford to live in Adelaide and then visit Sydney is, you seem to almost enjoy Sydney a bit more. Like my rent in Coogee was more than my home loan repayments in Adelaide. Yeah. Oh, and I've, and I've heard that so, from... So, so ridiculous. Yeah. And I've heard that I've got the same thing I know so many mates and they have like good good jobs there and they're like you need to be rich to like live a good life here like yeah. whereas you you don't have to be like that and still you can like yeah. Adelaide's such a sweet little spot especially like it's gotten so much better over time like there's yeah. so many more things happening now here yeah yeah and your chiropractors kind of earn you know maybe 80 grand a year you know if they're if they're doing well um, and that doesn't matter if you live in Sydney or in Adelaide you know like and so therefore you know, you might as well live in Adelaide and yeah. have, you know, you can buy, you know, I don't know what the housing market's doing at the moment, probably stupid things at the moment, but, you know, you, you could buy something nice for half a million dollars, whereas half a million dollars doesn't buy you anything, is it? Yeah, know, yeah. Like, I, I, don't even, I wouldn't even know what it buys you, but because I, I know that there are million dollar houses in Penrith, which is, you know, the equivalent of, you know, Salisbury. And yeah, no, I've seen that. It's crazy. It's absolutely yeah. crazy. Yeah, a million dollars is probably understating it. i got no idea. Do anyway. people in Sydney also... Um, the expectation, like in Adelaide, the expectation is like everyone buys their own house. Yeah. Um, is the expectation different over there? I think it's shifting. I think there's a huge, like a much more bigger multi multicultural system where, you know, people are, you know, coming over from China and coming over from India and, and um, you know, Southeast Asian countries and things like that. And then they're used to not having their own house. So, they're, you know, the old Australian dream. So, yeah, 
they're, they're, they're buying apartments and things like that and, and being okay with that. And they use the public spaces really well, like the parks and the parklands and things like that to, to give the kids space to run outside and, and, and they're quite happy living in the, in the, the apartments and things. So, yep. yeah. That's yeah, no, I, just, I, just, I just struggle to understand how... Um, yeah, like unless you're very financially well off over there, like yeah. how people afford without yeah. getting themselves into like a crazy debt. Yeah, yeah, I've got no idea. I, I don't think we've seen how this is going to play out yet. I, I've, I'm no economist, but yeah. it would worry me. You know, yeah. like I worry about the amount of debt I've had, but I laid, let alone if I lived over there and I was trying to make ends meet. Yeah. Yeah. So you had a practice had in a practice Darlinghurst? Had Darlinghurst and um, also worked for somebody in Bondi Junction, you know, and that's that classic, like trying to run a business and then also have a second job and also doing extra work on weekends and, you know, just trying to make ends meet. How old were you at the time? Would have been, that's is not great, 24, yep. 25. And then it moved back to Adelaide. Um, that just, that was awesome fun. Like, um, it's 2000 and I won't tell you too much, but, um, we were, um, like my, my place was in King's Cross, like my darling is right next to King's Cross. I was right sort of next to the Coca-Cola sign in King's Cross. Okay. Like, yep. Just like, like I could kick a footy to the, the Coca-Cola sign. My best mate, um, my two best mates from chiropractic school both had practices in the cross. So one, one down the far end at Potts Point and one like right underneath, um, sorry, right above Hugo's wine bar in King's Cross, which at the time King's Cross didn't have a like a lockout law and that kind of stuff. So it like used to party until four or five, six in the morning. And um, his practice, his name was um, Tim Robards. He ended up being on like The Bachelor and um, yeah, ended up marrying the girl off the Bachelor TV show. So, but at the time, like he um, he was working in, um, in in King's Cross and it was above Pete Evans's. Like pizza bar, so it was like back before Pete Evans was like paleo. Pete. Oh wow, yeah. He and his brother like had like pizza bars there and yep. drink cocktails and like it was pretty like pretty loose part of King's Cross. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was really good fun. Like um, sneaky sound system were like the DJ. Oh wow, that's cool. Like yep. the house DJ and yeah, um, yeah, it was really we we used to party there all the time. So it was really awesome fun. But it's just like I realised even at twenty five, twenty six, whatever I was when I was maybe it must have been twenty five and. Um, I was like, I can't keep doing this forever. Like, I'm, I had ten dollars in the bank account at the end of each, in the end of each week, just scraping by. And so, um, my partner and I at the time, we moved back to, moved back to Adelaide, and then um, started working for an amazing Cairo and McGill, a guy called Russell Hanna, and uh, worked with him for five years before I then bought his practice off of him in, um, yeah, two thousand and thirteen or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's cool. Yeah. And then. Uh, so many questions here. I'm trying to like, should stick to one role. Uh, okay. I always find it interesting when people have been in business for, for quite a long time. Uh, what's the thing that you've learned about yourself over the last eight years of um, being in business? I probably, I think I, I took over the business because I, I wanted to, to keep caring for people. So I wanted to, um, the people that we had in, in McGill were just just amazing patients to look after, and I really enjoyed looking after that that those patients. And Russell wanted to move the practice down to to um, the other side of town, and um, there was at the t- at the time I was going through a big personal um, development. I was uh, I broke up with like um, my partner, um, going through like a separation and all all of that kind of financial stuff. 
um, I kind of I'd said to I said to Russell, I was like, "Is anything going to change?" And he goes, "No, nothing. Nothing too much will change." And then within that sort of twelve month period, he's wanting to move the whole practice to to the other side of Adelaide. In which in which case, I just I kind of needed financial security for myself, so I kind of needed to take my own like destiny into my own hands. And yep. so I was I never really wanted to run a business. I never really. I looked at the, the amount of money that I could earn as a chiropractor, as a subcontractor, and realized that that amount of money wouldn't increase if I owned the business or not yep. in chiropractic because you can get quite a good um, percentage-based reward a scenario where you kind of you do really well just by looking after those patients and that's it. And so I kind of realized um, you know, that at, when I was working for Russell that I was like, I kind of do okay and I get a hell of a lot of free time to myself where I can do a whole bunch of other stuff. So when he moved down, I kind of had two decisions. Do I keep that lifestyle of of, um, of where where my life was at? I was able to train and I was able to do all sorts of different bits and pieces and um, or do I, you know, or do I suck it up, work extra 10 hours a week for less money? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and I made the decision to, to, to buy it mainly because of the people that were in the practice more than anything else. Um, and also just so no one else could fuck with me again. You know, so like if I run the practice and if I if I fall if I die running the practice and it falls over, then I just know that that's that's my fault. I, I just know I'm not capable of doing that. And if it succeeds, I know that I can succeed. That's also anyway. me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah so, of course. So um so I took the punt and I was scared shitless and I thought that I would fail miserably and it didn't. In fact it grew. Um uh, yeah, which has been amazing. So we've, I've never ever put a job ad out. I don't think, not really, not really officially. I've put in like little cheeky comments to people that I want to come work with us. But yeah. we've essentially pretty much grown from me and uh, so just me in the practice to sort of me, Sophie, another chiropractor, front desk girls, Liz, Jill, and Sally. So sort of a team of five of us within like a really short period of time. And now we have a team of nine practitioners, so four chiropractors, two physiotherapists, two podiatrists, and a team of front desk, um, amazing front desk staff. Um, yeah, all within the sort of period of time without really advertising, people just, just coming towards us and wanting to work together. Um, we sort of restructured it. I've tried to restructure to try and gain back some of that free time for myself. So instead of being 100% owner now, I'm a, a partner with, with, some, with a great... Um, podiatrist Julia and physio Pete. So trying to sort of keep that work-life balance rather than um, falling in a complete hole. We're sort of, we're not quite there yet, but we're we're getting there slowly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah look, it's, um, it's hard owning a business and I think it's one of those things that I think um, has been glamorized a bit over the last few years. But I think the reality is something that I think people often... Uh, don't talk enough about like it's really hard <laughs> like yeah, yeah. Uh, in some ways it can be good like uh, you know it's so funny that you said what you said before where you wanted to know that if it sinks it's on you but if it, it succeeds it's also on you and uh, I think it takes a lot of bravery man like and I think it's a lot of bravery that it's why you know not everyone goes in business for themselves because that thought is like you know it's it's deep yeah, well, yeah. at the time that I took over the house like I'd split up my ex and I had a house together and we broke up within sort of 12 months of us buying the house and 
we refinanced, I refinanced the house to split up and I think I had a loan to value ratio of about 104%. For some reason, we managed to, do- I managed to dodge like lenders mortgage insurance because it was nice. all kind of already under one name. But, you know, if the business failed, I'd essentially worked six, seven years for, I would have lost the house. And then I probably would have had another 150 grand worth of debt. So I would have been, you know, 31 years old with minus, you know, 150 grand net worth. No money in super because I hadn't been paying super because I've been working for myself for that period of time. Yeah, yeah, you know, pretty, pretty close to, to just nothing to my name, despite working my ass off. Yeah, for you know, I first job I got was at fourteen and nine months working for you know Hoyt Cinemas. Norwood. Yeah, so been working my ass off for that for as long as I could, and nothing to show for it. Or, yeah, a lot of experiences and fun, but yeah, luckily enough, it, you know, it didn't go to shit. Yeah, of course. Um, look, and I think. I think all those stories are really important. I always look back and I think, um, I always kind of try and reflect. I really look up to my parents. As, as I get older, I look up to them probably even more. We're really different personality-wise, like um, like a lot of the traits that have come through. Uh, maybe we did a lot of the same things, but maybe in very different ways. But, you know, they changed countries twice. Like where they, just, amazing, they just started from zero. And like at a pretty late age, like I think mum and dad would have been like 40 something when they came here and, yeah. you know, like had nothing, right? And, you know, I look, I always try and look back to that. And I'm just like, you can have, you can start from zero, like and no matter what age you are and like you can make things work. Like, yeah. and I look back to their story and, you know, and you know what I really like when I look to them is, you know, like they might not have as much as, as many things as other people might have, right? Like, um, and there'll be lots of times where I'll be really uh, critical about like their maybe financial decisions, but you know, like they've just like had this wealth of like experiences from life and they're just like happy. Yeah. And it's like, man, like that's, it's so cool when you, when you see that. And yeah. I think it's an important message to get across. Like, I think especially probably like our generation has just grown up always being like what have i done who am i yeah and you know who we are i think it's so much beyond that do you know what i mean absolutely yeah i you know I, i'm i'm you know i'm jealous of um your mum and dad in that way you know i wish i had more of that i i need to learn more of more of that you know more of that being happy with what you have and and you know just reflecting on being blessed for the experiences and the the journey in life like that a lot more you know fuck it's amazing have you done have you done a podcast with your dad or mum yet no i haven't i mean i'm not never do one of my my dad's i don't think i'm very good at communicating or talking my dad's very good i would ask him one question and then that would be it i'd get no i'd get no say that'd be it it'd be be two hours and then what yeah. you, no, but you know, you should, you should do it. No, I should. should no, you're, you should you're dig, right. I should, dig into that. I should dig into that. Yeah. No, you're 100% right. I think he'd really um, appreciate me asking him on. Yeah, because there's a lot to be learned from that. I mean, what what strength that must take for someone to move out countries, you know. But you know, I think, as well. I think that's often what it is. It's just like the not overthinking it. And I think that's often what I see myself in them. Like it's the not, you know, it's funny. Two years ago, uh, me and my business partner, we decided to buy another business you know that was a decision that was made in five minutes this is because my personality is very like high risk just do it figure it out yeah um and you know it's funny because then uh, sometimes some people will ask about like the cost or what went into it and then they're like fuck like this took like a lot of effort i'm like yeah it did like i didn't you know but if 
I think if I had thought about all those things ahead of time, I might have not not have done it. And I think a lot of the thinking that people often do is what cripples them. And I think sometimes, yeah. um, you know, even just like maybe making a decision of like, I'll bet on myself. That comes from like, yeah. sometimes you've got to trust your gut as well. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I heard, um, I heard a podcast, I can't remember, some really young entrepreneurs at like 22, 23, having a crack at some really like audacious goals. And, and, and they just had a crack because they're like, what the, what's the worst thing that happened? They've got so much time left, uh, you know, in life to do boring things if it, if it fails. Yeah. So I think um, as I found as I get older, the appetite for risk is decreasing, which is a little bit sad. So I think, yeah, it's amazing to the few parents who've done that at 40 because I mean, I think that overthinking it at that age you know you know with family and, and oh yeah i know that, exactly massive. yeah yeah i mean i know so many people you know and this is what like kills me sometimes like i know people who were like in their 20s who feel like they've accumulated too many things that they can't it's like they can see they're not happy in their life yeah. but they feel like they've accumulated too many things to lose them and i'm like like it's i feel like i really feel for those people i'm like you're losing the point of it like yeah. fuck the things and like go be happy you know what I mean yeah but sometimes you just have to feel that, that you shit. do of course yeah and you know me saying that comes from like really intense experiences that maybe yeah. led me to believing that right, well, well I, you know I went through that really bad breakup probably what two years before you two, maybe three or four years before you went through you know an equally di- difficult time and um, I was kind of like trying to hint to you hey mate like just you know like have a feel about exactly what you're doing here and what it is moving forward. Oh, and you know, you know like, and that's like, I mean, I don't... So, but then you still, it doesn't matter how you say it to someone, no, of course. they still have no, to 100%. feel that pain, they and still have to make those mistakes, they have to fuck up and... Yeah, of course, know. and it's it's funny that because, and we've never, I don't think we've ever like chatted about this, but like, you know, it's funny, things happen in your life and then people come into your life for different reasons, right? But like, and this is one of those moments where I, I get to say thank you to you really publicly, but... Um, so yeah, I went through a really shit situation and it's funny, right? Cause you reached out to me and you're like, Hey, I'm here. If, like you need to talk. Um, and that you were like, you know, I've, I've been through, you know, something similar. Um, so I might know how to, you know, talk to you about it. And you know, like some of the advice you gave man, like in that talk, like, and just your, you know, your willingness to reach out, like, you know, your kindness and, um, you know, that's something that like I'll forever, like be thankful for that right like and it, and it meant so much more than maybe you'll ever know how much it meant at the time and it's funny because i can look back at like maybe all the little hints that you might have been given along the years right like and you're right like i would have never noticed them or even been ready to see those signs until like something like that happens and then you realize oh wow like i get it now i get what maybe you were hinting at or yeah. You know, and, and you kind of realize like how much of like, you know, so many of those things that maybe you hinted at came from like a place of love, of like care. Um, but yeah, when you're not ready to see those things, you're not. So I really thank you, man, for like, um, yeah, for, for reaching out and, and for helping. Cause uh, you're welcome. I'm glad it was, I'm glad it wasn't just uh, me talking uh, bullshit and joking around. But um, No, no, but it, like, and that's the thing though, because this is one of those things that really annoys me about um it sometimes annoys me when I see those are you okay campaigns, right? And I yeah. see everyone post like the social media image and whatever, right? Because there's, there's people like you in life who like are actually there. Like they're like, hey, I'm here for a chat and we'll actually give you the chat. And like that might be like a life-changing, a life-saving moment for a person. But what I often see is just a lot of people who like just repost the social media thing and then do nothing. Do you know what I mean? Like 
don't repost the sh- be the person that you're reposting the thing about do you know what I mean like yeah but every, every single one of those people are on their own journey as well so yeah of course yeah doing, 100% they're doing what they can yeah yeah it's better than doing nothing Th- this is very true yeah. I just get to be passionate about this. Yeah, no, no. I look and I know I know what you're saying is coming from a good place of trying to make that like don't just talk the talk, walk the walk. But um yeah, everyone sits in a different space and there's only so much energy that you know, people have got, you know. You've given me a lot of energy over the years, so it's lovely to be able to, to know that I've been able to repay that in some way as well. Yeah, no, a hundred percent man. Um you've uh I feel like through the time I've known you, um feel like you've tried out a few other different projects like with coffee is that correct yeah yeah done a few little bits and pieces and sometimes they're projects for <laughs> project sake so um you know with the coffee it was just about i wanted to learn about coffee roasting and um learn more about coffee and um yeah my wife chelsea loves loves coffee so um we're sort of starting a project up together and it was fun you know she hadn't really learned much about business or you know entrepreneurship and she had no idea what a um, you know, like a family trust would be, and you know, what, you know what business, re- you know, um, registration would be, and all those sorts of things. So it was, it was kind of fun to start sort of roasting coffee and and have a bit of fun with that. And a few other friends were pretty interested at the same time, so it was fun to do sort of a project together, and we still run that together. And um, yeah, it's a, it's good fun. Um, yeah, you know, we, we were going to just start wine, but we figured that if we started to make wine, we'd uh, drink too much. So we thought coffee was probably a safer option. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm always been surprised why you haven't done more of a wine. Yeah. I know you're quite the wine connoisseur. Yeah, I think it's more about health. I think, um, you know, ethanol is horribly bad for um, livers and, um, you know, and, and can be quite a socially destructive, um, you know, drug essentially. And... Um, I I find it hard to reconcile giving out health advice, but then also probably consuming more than what the health advice would say within a week. So that's my little bit to try and try and work out how do I reconcile all those little bits and pieces. You can easily you know tell yourself lies that you know you know you know if the, you know, you you're more immune to that or you know it's okay Look, this, or all this those is, sorts of this things isn't like that, a, this the, isn't this is a, this is like a good topic, right? Because I often. My association to alcohol, for example, has changed over time, right? Like I decided to be very health conscious at a maybe younger age than I think most people. And then I think I went too far down that line. And then I've probably only started really drinking like over the last few years. Yeah. Um, But it always comes from like a place of like, like a good place, like of, you know, for social reasons or just because, you know, like I really, I have a really, I feel like I have a really positive relationship with alcohol yeah um and i often think of that when i see you know other cultures like you know i know for myself and like you know when you go to europe and stuff like that like yeah. wine's a big thing it's like a it's like like it's a, not even like a social lubricant but it's just like it's just something that people do that can you know just make them a little bit happier yeah and i think and there are you know there are sort of blue zone areas and stuff in the world that do have wine as part of their their culture and part of that stuff but they don't do it excessively yeah exactly i think that's it it's just you know the the measure by which yeah. you're intaking it i think you know there's, there's those two extremes right so there's that that is uh, some of those amazing times that you have with friends shared over a bottle of wine that takes you to a different place and life is better having those things there's a there's an awesome doctor who doesn't probably the best podcast health podcast i think that's out there you know other than yours obviously mate um Peter Atia, um, and he explains um, alcohol was you know you know if you looked at alcohol, there's no amount of alcohol that is good for the liver. You know like the best the best amount of um, 
alcohol for the body is zero. You know, it's essentially a poison, right? Yeah. So, but we're not walking livers is the way he, he describes it. And um, I really like that because, you know, if you look at, you know, brain chemistry in regards to some of those fantastic times that we share, you know, some of those really enjoyable times that we share um, and have together with those things, they're things that make you kind of want to live, you know? Well, like, that, I was going to say, like, I think there has to be a line where the joy that something can bring you, like, probably outweighs, like, the, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like a happier person is yeah. going to be a healthier person. Yeah. But this week, you know, I got dragged into a, into a, not dragged into, but, I, you know, I had a, a ridiculously hard conversation with a friend who, who I had found out had been hitting his wife uh, when he gets, when he drinks too much. And so that gets, gets straight into that. So I, I didn't want to touch a drink all week because I just like, you see the destruction that these things can yeah. cause. Like yeah. it's just, and it's, it's consumed my week in regards to how exhausted I've been this week because I've had to try and mentally deal with that. And then three days later, they're back together happy as Larry. And you're like, how can she go back to him after he's done that? You know, like, I, I, yeah, I, want, course, I, yeah. I want to defriend him. Like, how does she even go back there? You know, like, I just, it's one of those, like, inexcusable type of behaviors that, yeah. So I'm really trying to reconcile that. So it's an interesting question to come up on a, on a week that I've had. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, 100%. Like, um, you know, people's, just relationships in general is just, in itself a very challenging topic um and it's one of those things that i always think like it's one of those things we should be taught about i think in school like what is a good relationship what's a bad relationship um and i know what you mean like um uh witnessing those sort of things and then uh, i think that's happened to me in the past where like I've, I've been in a very similar situation to where you have been and you know tried to do something about it because you feel like that's the right thing to do and then uh, you know, I've had both parties get annoyed at me for being involved and then you're like, and you try and look back and you're like, damn, like, I feel like, am I the crazy person for like... Yeah, yeah. yeah. and you just kind of, you know, be like, the stuff before you got to let them run on their journey a little bit. Yeah, and it's I think... not much yes. you can do. I mean, I think, yeah. I think, and you've said that a few times here, like, so much of life is people have their own journeys and they just kind of have to go through them. Yeah. I'm just not convinced that yeah, we can overly change things as much sometimes as we think we can. I think there's a lot of, you know, unless that person, in, you know, inside themselves really wants to seek that change and really wants to do that change. I find it hard enough to change my own habits, let alone try to be an, an amazing influence on someone else's. So You can only um, take a horse to water, you yeah. can't make them drink it. Yeah, absolutely. So, but, you know, you just for that one moment that you, you know, I keep trying because that one moment that you might be helpful for someone or you might, stop someone from doing something stupid then it's all worth it i guess but you never know who those people are or when they're gonna be yeah yeah 100 percent um so what's next for you in your journey man like um do you foresee just keep just keep working with the clinic keep growing it um other business ventures yeah i i'm less keen on the other business ventures type of idea like i think i um i probably given giving too much of myself to the business and too much of myself there so I need to try and maintain the level of care that I've got for all the patients that I've got at Adelaide Sports without, um, but try to do it in a more efficient manner rather than a more is more. You know, if I, if I added 20 hours to my week, I'd probably still be able to fill it with people, but would the care for those 20 people, extra 20 hours worth of people be better? I don't think it would be. So I've got to just make sure that I, the care that I do give out to every single person is as good as I can possibly give. And then make sure that um, you know, I'm, I'm sort of 
training up younger chiropractors and um, coming up underneath me to try and try and be give the level of care of I, that I can that I give and I'll tell, teach them everything I can and that'll take me about you know two and a half days to teach them all the things that I know and then they can they can go from there and they can make it even better than what I have because I mean that's what progress is right you want the younger chiropractors you want the younger people behind us to be better than what we are because otherwise that's not that's not progress so that's that's what my probably aim is over the next few years I need to do that in order for my own personal life balance I'm 20 kilos overweight at the moment I'm um, you know, I'm not sleeping as much as I should. You know, there's a whole range of things there that at 36 you get away with, but at, at, at 46, at 50, you just, you know, that's when people start having heart attacks. That's when people start having, you know, they, they start dropping dead. So I've got to make sure that I pull that shit together before I, um, before I, uh, any of those bad things happen. And, yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, you 100% can, man. Um, yeah, yeah. But I think there was a good message there before that. Like, I think uh, quality over quantity, like we live in a society where, a lot of the times uh, more more is better is seen as like the way to go. But I think what you just said is, is really, um, is really good. Like uh, quality over quantity, like making sure that you're giving the best uh, kind of service, like uh, to your um, patients as you can. Like, um, yeah, that's great to hear. Yeah. So, and you know, you serve more people if you're there for a long term. Like I, I don't actually ever plan on retiring as a chiropractor because I actually, I do love it. You know, it's an absolute honor to have, to be in people's lives and to have them let you touch them and try and make their bodies move better. I mean, it's like to let someone into your personal space to let some like to let someone do that is just such a such an honour and a, a blessing to be able to be open. You know, the conversations I've had with some of the patients over the years have been just outstanding. The love and the care that they give, and you know, I've been able to hopefully give them. And um, I don't want to ever, I don't, I don't have a desire to ever lose that. But in order to try to maintain that over a long period of time, you've got to just yeah, try and find a balance with it I think yeah 100% yeah. that's cool brother thank you so much for coming on um, and sharing these uh, these conversations and experiences with me no um, worries, man. if okay. people wanted to find you uh, where can they do so uh, well probably best at the clinic cause, um, so yep uh, Adelaide Sports um, the website's adelaidesports.com.au it's probably the best best spot yep. um, heap of stuff on there and um, Instagram and um, Facebook of Adelaide Sports probably the best place cool awesome um so yeah guys if you guys liked um sam's energy and uh what he was talking about and you have some treatments that you need done make sure to go check him out um and yeah man we'll definitely get you back on the podcast and do another interview thanks man awesome thanks for having me thank you very much thanks Ralph.